Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Man, we serve a great, big, awesome God. He is so good. He's so good. I'm excited today um, to speak to you. And if you're wondering, is this a Father's Day message? It is. Because it's on Father's Day. But it's for every person. This is a word for you. I've been praying about this word for like three weeks. And I've been chewing on it to the point where I would start getting stuff ready for this a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, crud, I have to speak this Sunday too. But like the Lord's put this word on me because I I really think that someone needs to grab a hold of what's here. I think God wants to heal some wounds today. And so we're going to look at a a, a series of scriptures, John 3, 1 through 8, Romans 8, 11 through 17, and Matthew 18, 1 through 6. And I pray that as we look at these scriptures, that we're able to connect the dots of God's perspective and what he thinks about us. So the title of my message today is A Father's Perspective. A Father's Perspective. And this is not a message about how to be a better dad. We've heard those. This is not a message about how to be a better Christian. Well, I guess kind of. I I don't know. Not really. It's really about how God sees us. It really is. And if you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's your Father. And if you haven't, He wants to be your Father. And so often we get things skewed in our mind because... The reality is we've either had a great dad here on earth that gives us a a, a good perspective of our heavenly father, or we've had a bad dad, and so when we talk about a father, we're like, I don't like that. I like Jesus, but I don't like the father. Or we've had no dad here on earth, and then we don't know really the perspective. Like, you talk about a father, and I've never had a father, so... If if you never had a father, God's here to be your father. If you had a great dad, God's here to be the best dad, because he is. Your great dad is only a mere, a good reflection of our heavenly father. And if you had a bad dad, you've had a poor reflection of our heavenly father. Because our father in heaven is the purest sense of fatherhood. The best sense of fatherhood. And... I want to connect some dots today about these scriptures. So if you, if you have your, your, (laughs) say the E version or the tree version, the tree version would be a paper Bible. The E version would be on your phone. Um, but it's also going to be on the screen. Let's throw up John three, one through eight. This is a context of right before the most popular verse that's ever been written, John 3.16. But he's talking to a religious man named Nicodemus. He was a teacher of religious law. He says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So there is a birth. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is an actual birth. It's a spiritual birth. The Bible says we who are in Christ are a new creation. That's not hyperbole. That's not, or, or if you're from Arkansas, hyperbole. Sorry, I had to. Um, if you're really from Arkansas, you can kick me in the shin later. It's fine. Um, God, Paul wasn't talking in hyperbole. He wasn't giving an illustration of what it kind of is like. He was saying, if you are in Christ, if you are born again, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. Do you still have this physical body? Yes, because Jesus Christ has not come back yet. He hasn't given us that. But we have a new spirit in us. And as you walk with Christ, you will discover that spiritual realities are the greater realities of your life. And spiritual realities affect the physical they, they straight do. Spirit, like, the enemy attacks you spiritually, but it manifests itself physically. He'll attack your emotions, and they'll manifest in depression. He'll attack your peace, and it'll manifest in anxiety. Like, I'm telling you, Spiritual realities are the greater realities. So when Jesus is saying, you're born again, this is the greater birth. And you, you, want, to, you want to talk about the greater birth. When, when you're born again through the Holy Spirit, he, he, he puts a new identity on you in Christ. A new right, he gives you righteousness, which is a fancy Christian word for right standing with God. You're, you have a right standing with our Father. He's no longer just God, he's your Father. It not just affects you, it affects your eternity. Like when you're born physically, you will die physically. But when you're born spiritually, you will never die. Spiritual realities are the greater realities. And so when Jesus says you must be born again to inherit the kingdom, he's saying you got to be born as a citizen of heaven. Just like to become a, a, you know, when you're born in the United States, you're a citizen of the United States. When you're born again, you become a citizen. Paul says our citizenship isn't here on earth. It's in heaven because we're born again. This, this is a greater reality. So, But there's like, when, when a person's born, what are they? An infant, a baby, a child? They're small, they're tiny. They're, well, they're, they're dependent. They're dependent, right? Even my toddler son is still dependent. So let's look at Romans 8. Because this is what being born again affords you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. He's going to give you a new body. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So your simple nature is essentially your flesh. flesh, And your flesh will urge you to sin. We, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we, when we compared and contrasted the fruit of the Spirit and the, the acts of the flesh. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your simple nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have received a spirit, for you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. That's what sin does. Sin makes you a slave because you want to get away from it, but you can't. And, and what else makes you a slave? The law, religion legalism, because you can't do enough. You can't do enough. 
You can't read enough verses to get right with God. You can't go to church enough to get right with God. You can't pray enough prayers unless you pray the sinner's prayer, and then God says you're free from all that. But what I'm getting at is religion is right there with you. It's, it's, and and that's, that's act of the flesh. Legalism is act of the flesh. It's me trying to get right with God on my own. And you can't. It's a work of the Spirit. You're born again through the Spirit of God, and He gives you new desires to do what God wants you. You live by the, the Spirit and His dictates, not the flesh. And so what He's saying, instead you've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. Abba is another Greek word that means Father. So it's not just father like informal it's like father father it's 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 so personal it's what like what my children would do to me it's that it's that personal for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children when you're born again God's spirit comes in you and he says hey you're God's kid you're God's kid. Now you can call out to your father. So you don't have to have a reference of a good dad, bad dad, no dad. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes along with you to say it's okay to call him father. It's okay to, to, to have intimacy with the father. For his spirit joins with our spirit and he helps us to see God that way. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. What does God own? Everything, right? Some of us walk through like we're paupers. We're victims. Later, after, later in this chapter, he says, you're more than conquerors through Christ. But we're heirs. We're heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. We're, we are literally, God puts his glory on us because we are the righteousness of God through Christ. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Oh, man, I had to add that. But what Paul's getting at is that, that suffering, we suffer on this side of eternity. Because our flesh craves sin. Our flesh, our, our flesh is literally decaying over time. That's, it's just slowly dying. But the spirit in us is, is alive. And we're, it knows its identity because the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and says, No, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And we suffer this side of heaven because this is not our home. This is not our eternity. This is, this is, not, our, this is not where we're going to spend. Our, our spirit craves to be with our Father. And the cool thing is, as we seek Him, He meets us right here, even on this broken world, and He lets His presence be known to us. So He's like, that's just a glimpse of what's to come. And when you look at, when you look at things this way, it really helps those light and momentary troubles. Like, Paul goes through this list of, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been all this stuff. He's like, I count it all like light and momentary. Like, light and momentary? Dude, you got beat with the cat. Like, you, you, you got the rocks thrown at you, and they thought you were dead. You were dragged outside. I mean, like, you call that light and momentary, but compared to being with our Father in heaven, and the spiritual realities being the greater realities, it's light and momentary. I don't care if you live for a million years on this earth. It's a, but a vapor in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of eternity. And so Paul is saying, not only are we born again, where we, we have a true spiritual birth, this, that, that I would say is a greater reality, than your actual physical birth. And then on top of that, God says, I'm going to send my spirit not only to help you, but to, I'm going to put my spirit in you to come alongside the spirit that's in you to say, no, 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 call me Father. We're co-heirs with Christ. And then 
the last thing I want to read real quick, I'm, I'm going to read one later, but uh, Matthew 18, 1 through 6, the disciples, they're doing the disciple thing, they're arguing. Isn't that like followers of Jesus to argue over inconsequential things? Oh, we would never do that because we're the church, right? Like, oh my goodness, we shouldn't get rid of pews. Or, oh my goodness, let's change the carpet. Oh, we shouldn't do that. I'm like, we don't argue about stupid stuff, right? We do argue about stupid stuff that's inconsequential. And, but the disciples did the same thing, so you're in good company. He says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I love how Jesus answered. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Some, some translations say that he, he pu pulled the, the child up on his lap. He said, then I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like, a little, ch like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. He never even answers their question, like, who's the greatest? He says, no, this is how. This is how you get, get to the kingdom. He says, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Let's keep going. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom. Hmm. Humility is an interesting thing. It's honestly, it's having an honest look at yourself. That's really what humility is. It's not thinking too low of yourself. It's not thinking too high of yourself. It's just having an honest look at yourself. And saying, like, honestly, and that kids do that, you know. Kids have an honest look. They know. They know. <laughs> and if you want an honest opinion, go ask Skye. She'll tell you. She told me the other day, are you going to leave your mustache? It looks stupid. Like, Thank you, Sky, for the vote of confidence. The longer I wear it, the more confident I become. There's a, there's a wonderful power in the mustache. You guys can laugh. It's okay. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But... If you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What is he talking about? That's a loaded thing. Well, he's not literally talking about little children. He's talking about people who put faith in him. And it's kind of interesting if you noticed the common theme, John 3, Romans 8. Like, we're called children of God. We're not called adults of God. There is a, there's this drawback to constantly reminding us that we are born again. We're infants. We're children. We're, we're adopted. We're kids of God. And then, and what is he talking about here? If you cause one of these, what he honestly He's talking about causing someone to go back to trying to earn their relationship with God through the law. When we come alongside a new Christian and we say, you should do this, 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 and this. Hmm. God says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea than stand before God on judgment day and him judge you for trying to add something to the cross of Jesus Christ. You're saved through faith in Christ. That's it. We can't earn it. We can't add anything to the cross. We can't take away anything. It's the cross. God bankrupt heaven to get us salvation. That was enough. And yet, there's this pull to be children in the kingdom. Jesus says, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Unless you're a humble as a child, unless you become like a child, you can't inherit the kingdom. So I've been thinking about this in this father's perspective. So the first thing I want to give you, 
Our, fa our father's perspective, number one, we are his kids. We are his. You are, if you are in Christ, you are God's child. Period. End of story. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care if you feel saved or you don't feel saved. I don't care if you feel backslidden. If you confess Christ and you're trying to live for him, you're his. Sometimes, like, well, I don't feel like worshiping. Well, there's two times to worship, when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. So, because worship's not about you. I, I don't feel like reading my Bible sometimes. Well, that my, my, my daughter doesn't feel like picking up a room sometimes. My daughter doesn't feel like giving me a hug sometimes. It doesn't nullify the fact that she's my daughter. There are times I'm like, Sky, come tell me a secret. She turns to me and says, no. Can you tell daddy you love me? No, I don't like you right now. Okay. I'm telling you, she's humble. She gives honesty. And then she'll come back, Daddy, I shouldn't have said that. I do like you, but sometimes you just want to hug all the time. And I don't want to hug you all the time. And like, like, well, one day when you're a parent, actually, you'll probably be just like your mom and just be like, no, don't touch me. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, but we are God's kids. We are God's kids. We're born again. Spiritual realities are greater realities. And then, and then when Paul's talking about, I, I want us to get this. Because we, we have this idea of adoption. And our idea of adoption is not wrong. But, it, you know, we, we adopt a child and they become ours. But when Paul was writing this, he's writing literally to the church in Rome. Hence the title Romans. He's writing to a church in Rome. And Roman adoption was very different than our adoption. In fact, most people did not adopt children at the time of Christ. They adopted full adults. And so, like, they would adopt. So, say, say you're a wealthy landowner in Rome and you have, maybe you have a couple kids or you only have daughters. You don't have any, like, back then, like, male heirs. So, you would go to another family, say, I like like, you might pick them out based on, like, their stature and their strength and whatever. And also the fact that, hey, they have a head on their shoulders. They have a head on their shoulders. So um, I think they would be a good heir. You would go to that family. You would offer them money and say, I want to adopt your son. And then you would go. And it would be costly. It cost, It still costs a lot of money to adopt. But it would cost a lot of money to adopt someone but that person would agree to it and and, and the, the family would literally um, come along and adopt a full-grown person an adult and when that legal transaction happened it, to the government to to the Roman Empire it was like that person that got adopted was never even a part of the other family it would be like they were born into the family that adopted them that's how Roman adoption, and they had to sever ties. They were never allowed to talk to their old family again. But the crazy thing is, an heir, an adoptee in the Roman times, they had just as much rights, if not more rights, than actual born heirs of the family. Why, you might ask? Because the father chose them. He didn't get to choose his own children. So when Paul's talking about we are adopted by God, that carried some weight. Because we, we get it like, oh, you adopt and, you know, like babies and all this stuff. But Paul is talking about adoption through a Roman perspective. When, and so when he's talking about we're full heirs with Christ. So everything that is God's is ours. Every promise that God made is ours. It's like we have all rights to it as his children. And we walk around like, I just got to make it. No, we, we do suffer on this side of earth. We're going to go through tragedy. We're going to go through stuff. But we have a father that chose us, that loves us. 
that it cost him dearly to afford us adoption. And so we're full heirs. We're full parts of the family. We're in. We're in. We're his kids. We're his. You might not feel like it. It doesn't matter. We don't live life based on our feelings, man. If we live life based on how we feel, oh my goodness. They couldn't keep enough depression medicine on the shelf. They barely can now. We can't live life on how we feel. We can't base our relationship with God on how we feel. I just don't feel God today. Maybe he's not with No, he's with you, and he's watching over you. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's watching you. He's guarding you. He's saying, I'm, I'm yours, and you are mine. You are my child. I love you dearly. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you. Like, God, God, is, God is a doting father, and he's proud of you. He cares for you. He's with you, and he's walking with you. Man, and get, get this. God loves you. God loves tears because he collects all the ones you cry and I cry. He sees them. Not one tear falls from your face in grief or in joy or anything that God doesn't notice. Because you're his kid. And he cares for you. Man, I... I mean, I, I, I kind of get this because I have kids. They're mine. And I would do anything for them. Bend over backwards. Sometimes I, I let them ride their bike and fall over, though, so they can learn to get back up. And I was going to show you a video of Skye riding her bike this week, and I forgot to put it on the computer. That's my fault. But she made me out to be a liar last week. Um, she, but she's mine. And, and you know, she, she, she fell over a couple times. I said, you know what? Tuesday, I, I went out there and I said, this is dumb. I'm taking her training wheels off. And she's going to learn to ride her bike this week. And in 20 minutes, she was out there riding her bike without training wheels. But she tipped over. And she scraped her knee. And she almost didn't get back up on the bike, but she didn't fall over because of riding the bike. She fell over because her little brother ran into her with his tricycle. And, uh, but she almost didn't get back on. But because she's my kid, I allowed her to go through that. I said, you're tough. You're strong. I love you. I'm right here. Let's get back up. But my knee's bleeding. I'm like, it's still going to bleed whether you walk or ride your bike. It doesn't matter. Just ride it back to the house. And house, not hose. Um, and we'll put a Band-Aid on it. And she did. She got back up. She got on her bike. And by the time we got back to the house, she's like, it's not even bleeding anymore, Dad. I'm like, sweet. She's like, I want to ride some more. But God, in the same way, allows us to go through things. It's not happy-go-lucky, but it's just stuff happens. It doesn't mean that he quits being our dad. We're his kids. And, and, the, and the second, our father's perspective number two. He cares about our maturity. He cares about our maturity. Yeah, we're going to get into maturity for a moment. But if you watch children, they're born, and when they're born, they are completely dependent on their mother for everything. And as they get older, they... Start realizing, hey, dad can do stuff too. And, but they're dependent on their parents for a long time. But as a child matures, what happens? They become more independent, right? They, they instead of us feeding them, going, here comes the plane, you know. And the first time I did that to my, my niece when I was like 14, I jammed the the spoon so far back into her throat. I didn't realize you had to stop. It has to come in for a landing on the tongue. She started screaming. I never got to feed her again. Um, but as, as, like, you know, now they start feeding themselves, and then, you know, you potty train them and all this stuff. And in the Tatham household in the last three weeks, leading up to Father's Day, we've had some milestones after milestones. And 
I think God was giving me a perspective of what maturity looks like. My son got out of his, his toddler bed, and now he's in a full-size bed in his own room. Praise the Lord. Um, and he's in a full-size bed in his own room. And the, the night that he starts sleeping on his own in, in his own bed, Sky's like, you guys don't have to put me to bed anymore. So she's putting herself to bed. Peyton's in his own room. Sky's, Sky's uh, riding without training wheels. Peyton's fully potty trained. Um, I mean, like, milestone after milestone. And I'm, I'm sitting there saying, okay, my kids are getting bigger. They're becoming more independent. They don't need me. They, they don't need me as much. And then we get to the point where, you know, like, here in the United States, it's like 18. We launch our kids out uh, anymore, though, if you live in your mom's basement and you play World of Warcraft, it's probably 35. But, um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Ryan, just, um, I'll edit it out later. Um, but we send them out because we believe that they're independent. Because they're mature. But we live in a backwards and upside down kingdom with God, right? He does everything opposite the world. And maturity in God's kingdom looks 100% backwards and upside down to maturity in this world. As a person matures in the world, they become more independent. But maturity in God, if you notice the three scriptures that we read, you're born again. You're a child of God. Romans 8, you're adopted. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, it's almost like God's drawing us back to that state of 100% dependence on him. So I would say this, that maturity to our father's perspective is full dependence on God and full trust on him. In fact, the last verse I want to read with you is Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding in all your ways. And seek his will in all you do, and he will guide your path. Because maturity in the kingdom of God to our Father, God, God doesn't have grandchildren for one. He only has children. And he doesn't want us to get independent of him when you get independent of our god you need to guard yourself and seek him really good to get back to where you are dependent on him because when you get independent on him or of him your life will fall apart quick everything's going to come against you every i mean you're going to be a victim you're going to like you're going to be like why is i mean like you're going to start having a horrible perspective on life when you become independent of god but when you're fully dependent on him when, you're, when you trust him with everything. I, I was just watching my children um, in, in the course of these weeks. If anything happened to Amy and I while we were locked at home and our children can get out, they're goners. They couldn't take care of themselves. I don't even know if they could contact someone because they're so small. They're dependent on us. But one thing else I noticed about complete and whole dependency on our father is our, my kids don't have a care in the world. Our father wants us to get that way. He's saying you think you're mature when you become independent, but you're not. If you want to mature in your relationship with God, you need to trust him fully and become solely and wholly dependent on him and every promise in his word. Just take ownership of it. I'm watching my kids. They don't have a care in the world. They, 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 they just run around. They're, they're not worrying about what bills to pay. They're not worrying about where's lunch going to come from. They're not worrying about any of this stuff. They're just happy-go-lucky. They're, they're just having a time. They know that their dad is going to make sure that they have lunch. They know that their dad's gonna, and their mom's going to make sure that they have um, dinner. They know that their dad and their mom's going to make sure that their boo-boos are taken care of. They just know. They, they don't even have to think about it. They just know, like, you know what? Dad's, mom and dad are going to make sure my teeth are brushed. Mom and dad are going to make sure I, I, I get put, tucked in. Mom, mom and dad are going to take care of everything. They're just happy-go-lucky. I'm just going to live life, and I'm just going to trust mom and dad. That's maturity in the kingdom. 
Like, you might not be happy-go-lucky. You're going to go through stuff. But you know what? In those moments of of falling off your bike and scraping your knee, in those moments of things you can't explain, you know, my, my my, my mom passed away in August. My daughter's still processing that with me. She misses her nana. She'll walk up to me and tell me that. She's like, like, just because she's a child doesn't mean she doesn't go through things. Just because you're a child doesn't mean you don't go through things. But at the same time, our father is with us. And he says, I'm with you. And that's what I do with my daughter. I'm with you. Hey, let's process it together. What, what do you miss about Nana? What, what do you think about? Like, oh, that's a good memory. Oh, you know, like, and, but it's de- still dependence. And some of us are trying to get independent. I can do it myself. That's what my son's doing. No, I can do it. I'm like, Bubba, but that's not how you ride a bike. He's, he's doing, he's like, no, I want to do it my way. And that's what we do to God. And that's not maturity. Our father cares enough for us to say, if you want to mature in your relationship with me, become dependent on me. Trust me fully. And some of us here today aren't trusting God fully. We're going through the motions, but we're wondering why things are falling apart. It's because you're trying to handle it yourself. But I'm I'm, I'm just challenging you. If we learn to trust God fully, what would happen? Because God wants to mature you. Why do you think Jesus said, unless you become like a child? A child doesn't worry. In fact, Jesus says, look at the bird. Does it worry about what to eat? Look at the, the lily. Does it worry about how it's going to be clothed? How much more in, does your Father in heaven care to feed you and care to clothe you? In fact, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to wear tomorrow. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. Your Father's got it all worked out. That's, that's the level of trust and dependence that God wants to cultivate in each of us. As a co-follower with you, that's what I want in my life. And that's what I want for our church. I want us to be so trusting and so dependent on God that we say, I don't know how this is going to work out. But God's got to do it or it won't. We've got to have that mindset. We don't need to dabble our hands into, into the mix to say, okay, God, let me, let, me, let me get in there and try to fix it. No, you don't. You don't need to do that. God's got it. He's been a big God long before you existed. He'll be a big God long after this body dies. He's got it. And he cares enough for you to say it's time to grow up by becoming dependent. It's time to grow up by fully trusting him. Quit trying to do things on your own. I know that's backwards. That's 100% backwards. Like, you know, we tell people, grow up and get a job. Move out on your own. That's, that's, that's the world, though. We're not part of the world. Spiritually, we're part of the kingdom of God. And if you want, we, we live in the world. We, we affect the world. We preach the gospel to the world. And we lead people to Jesus out of the world. But maturity in the kingdom is dependency on God. Whole dependency. Whole trust. And Ben, if you if you would. I think that some people here today, they I feel like they fall in one of two categories, really. You either wrestle with God being your dad. And you being his kid, and you, you, don't, you don't feel worthy, you don't feel loved, and God's wanting to reconcile that, or you fall into the latter category. You're trying to be mature. You're trying to be independent. And you didn't even realize that by trying to become independent in the kingdom of God is actually making you really immature in your relationship with God. Because it's backwards. God says, Jesus says, unless you become like a child. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? A child. Why? 
Why is a child the greatest? Because they're so dependent. Say, God, you're God. I'm not. You're everything. I'm not. I can't do this, but you can. A child, man, have you ever thought about a child's faith? Think about the faith of a child. Man, I, my, my daughter walks up to me, and I, I, I do things sometimes, like she'll lose a toy, and then I'll go look for it when she's not watching, and then I'll find it, and then um, and I'll, I'll pretend. I'm like, well, we didn't check in your ears, so I'll go and actually, and she's like, well, look, and I'll pull it out of her ear, and she's like, Dad, you found it, and to the point where, like, when they lose toys now and they can't find it, they walk up to me like, Dad, can you look in my ear, please? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. And, and so, like, it, but it makes me want to keep the gag going because I'm like, okay, I've got to find this toy so I can pull it out of their ears because I don't want to disappoint them. But, like, they have faith. They believe. They believe. Like, they just, they just believe. They don't try to rationalize it. They don't try to figure it out. They don't try to, to like, okay, well, obviously, Dad has it in his hand. He's sticking, you know, like, they're not trying to do any of that. They just genuinely, like, Daddy, I can't find it. You think it's in my ear or is it in this ear? Can, and I'll look. I'm like, oh, sis, it's not in there this time. She's like, can you check my other ear? And, but they just believe. Sometimes Sky will walk up. And she has some crazy big prayer request. They just believe. And it really challenges my faith. Because I'm like, man, I don't know if I could pray that. Like, this might seem silly, but Dad, can you pray that I have a dream about Nana? Like, they just believe. For no reason, but other than that, God is God, and God's God's wanting us to get back to that because we just trust Him fully. We depend on Him completely, and we just believe that He's God, and He still does impossible things. He still does. He still moves. He still restores. He still. We say it, but sometimes there's a disconnect between our brain and our heart. And I think that today, God is wanting to connect the two. He's going to let those, those things that we so often say, and I'm not saying you don't say them, speak them. The power of life and death is in the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So speak life, speak in faith, but let, let it get from your head to your heart. So we don't just say things, churchy things, Christian things, but we believe things. We get back to that whole dependency that we see ourselves the way our God sees us, our Father in heaven sees us, that we are his kids, that how we mature in, in relationship with him is we, we become like little children and we start saying, God, can you pull it out of my ear? We start just believing and let's see what God does. Let's see. So let's stand. Let's stand. And I, I'm, I'm going to be up here. My wife is going to be up here. If you need prayer, maybe you just need to get alone with God and say, you know, God, I, 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 just, I just need to pray. I, 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 have, I have a hard time seeing you as my father. And I know I'm yours. But I just want to feel your love right now. Maybe you just need to do that. And um, you can pray in your seat. You can come up front and pray. Um, you can just worship. That's a great way to align our hearts to how God sees us. It's just worshiping him. Maybe you're here today and, and you, you fall in that second category. You become really independent of God. And you're trying to do things on your own. And you just have some... You have some needs in your life that you need God to pull it out of your ear, so to speak. We're going to pray and we're going to believe that God's going to do it.
But what I don't want to happen, what I don't want to happen is, is the Holy Spirit leading you and you staying right where you're at because of fear. Fear says, don't go up front. Don't go pray. Don't worship. Uh, what will people think? What will Whatever. That's what fear says. Faith says, let's step over that fear and let's see what God does. Because he's still a God of the impossible. He still shows up in possible situations. He still loves you. And he still wants to mature you. And he matures you by making you more dependent on him. By making you more trusting of him. So let's not just stand here in fear if the Lord's leading you to do something. Let's listen to the Spirit. But as Pastor Ben leads, let's respond. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring me sons to glory behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice called out scoffers and it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. deep my sin yet deeper still the love of Christ for me that he would live that he would die and leave the grave empty how deep my sin yet deeper still the love of Christ for me Ascended high, he is alive, he will return again. The risen Son, the Lamb of God, who takes away my sin. How deep the Father's love for us. Beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure.
Father, I pray for your church. Lord, I pray that you bless them and keep them. Let your countenance shine upon them and go before them. Father, I pray right now that you'll have your way through them. Lord, that as we walk out of this place of gathering, that we walk into a community and carry with us the, the, the gospel to our families. We carry with us the gospel to our co-workers and we carry with us the, the message that can transform and that, that, that makes us children of God to this community and the surrounding communities. And I pray for boldness to walk it out. That we not just walk it out, but we speak it out. That we share it in love. And I pray right now that you'll just bless your church. Be with them. Go before them. Lord, as they lay their heads down, as they rise their heads up, Lord Jesus, let us be your church. And Lord, your word says that um, upon this rock, you will build your church. We, we stand upon the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And the gates of hell will not prevail. So Lord, build your church. Build your church. Build your kingdom through C1 and the every church that, that, that rightly declares the gospel through Jesus Christ. In your mighty name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.